As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. This week's podcast is brought to you in part by Bill Taylor Enterprises. BTE is a manufacturing, design, and support company that specializes in high-performance automatic transmission assemblies and components for drag racing, off-road, marine, and street performance. Stay tuned to learn more about BTE's tune-up services. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in Sportsman Drag Racing and the stars within it. It's time for The Big Interview on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. All right, guys. Uh, got a special guest on the phone with us tonight. Uh, great to have this gentleman on with us. Uh, one of the more successful bracket racers in the country and even a more successful team owner of uh, an exceptional two-car bracket racing team or two-man bracket racing team. Great to have Chris Galitti on the phone with us tonight. Chris, thank you so much for taking yes. some time to join us. Yes, sir. No problem at all. Uh, I know you're uh, you're out and about already on the racing scene. Uh, tell everybody what part of the world you're in tonight. Well, we're in Bristol. We are getting ready for the spring, or I'm sorry, fall fling 500. And just came in around the week before to get used to the track, get reacclimated. Hadn't been here since last year and uh, looking for some success this week. It'd be a good time for it to occur, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would be a really good time for that to happen. So you guys got a couple of test and tune laps in, or I guess you raced uh, the DER series, and you'll test and tune tomorrow, so you'll be ready to go for all the big, big money this week. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Got them pretty dialed in, very solid, in a, in a comfortable spot. Awesome. I'll see you guys in a day or so myself. 
Chris, where's home? I know you're obviously in Bristol now, and home is in Texas. What part of Texas you guys hail from? We're in the spring, just north of Houston, down where it's hot. Up here, it's been much cooler. I, uh, I heard them complaining over the weekend how hot it was, and we were just kind of chuckling and giggling. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to soak up some of that cool air myself. It's been hot in Alabama. So, Chris, for the listeners, the the couple that might be out there that might not know much about you or your story, give us a brief rundown of how and when you got started in racing and how you've gotten to where you are now. Well, my brother and I, we both had run quite a bit of top sports in recent years. But, you know, way back when we were kids, we were on the street probably uh, doing things we probably shouldn't have been doing. And uh, we took a hold of bracket racing in the early 90s, started top sportsman racing in uh, the late 2000s. And my brother's still doing it. And I just got really intrigued by what the big money scene has turned into. And, well, the entry fees are getting pretty high, but the rewards are, are just phenomenal, just in charts that we chart uncharted water, I mean. I'm blown away by the opportunities and find it worth the chase. Got a very successful business or very we're lucky and fortunate to have a successful business with rad torque tools and uh, torsion X, you know, hydraulic torque wrench products. And we, we can't, uh, we can't deny this has been a phenomenal opportunity. And Corey and I being father and son with him still as a teenager has been an opportunity. We uh, took advantage of when we saw the opportunity and it's paid off pretty good. The, the little guy does all right. Every once in a while, I'll hit it myself. Uh, the old man has done quite well. <laughs> I know Corey is, is a household name these days, but you've had quite a bit of success yourself. So what's in your racing stable right now, Chris? Right now, we just got the three bracket dragsters, Wilson race engines in all three of them, plus the S10 pickup I picked up earlier in the year. We're not racing the truck much. Uh, my brother's actually running some index stuff with it he's having fun at home with it but we'll yeah. drag the three dragsters around and keep one as backup the the brake rule changes from race to race but it's nice to have another ride there in case you have a, a major component failure on one we used to carry motors now it's easier just to carry the whole car <laughs> not a bad option at all and i'm very familiar with that truck as you know i i can't remember what you did to me in vegas i know it was a single digit package whatever it was it was four or five seven something like that so. I think it, it was cub five it was i wanted to lay down a good lift lap i didn't realize i was gonna put down that good a lap jet <laughs> <laughs> well you didn't need it but you did it anyway so well done <laughs> you mentioned your brother. i wish i could have followed through the rest of the week but uh, it didn't happen <laughs> You mentioned your brother. Your brother's Bob. Both of you guys had a ton of success, and obviously he's still doing it on the top sportsman, top dragster in those classes. So what changed in the racing program? You mentioned that that bracket racing and the money that's available intrigued you. Is that what changed in your racing program to get you more involved in bracket racing? Well, we just, we were sinking so much money in the top sportsman program to go fast those days. You know, in these days it was taking either big inch motors or pro chargers and blowers. And I decided to go the 900 inch motor route. And, uh, it, it just, it became an extremely expensive thing to not really, you know, uh, I won a four division championships in top sportsman between IHRA and NHRA and I had my share of success with those grateful for, but there was just genuinely no reward. It's not all about the trophy for me. Uh, I, I want to win no matter what it is, but 
it was, you know, we're taking six figure race cars to the racetrack to run for $1,500 with stickers plus stickers. And it just didn't seem feasible when I could go drop a couple of thousand and race for 20,000 three times. And now we're seeing 50,000 and a hundred thousand and 200,000. And, and it's like, do you want to wear out your stuff for 2,500? Well, I can remember traveling across the country for 2,500. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They got a Harley David, but of course he had to do that, right? Awesome. We got a Harley in the interview. That's good stuff. I, I think that's the first time for us here on the podcast. Uh, Sorry about that. No, I love it. The listeners will, too. So, Chris, you mentioned that you're racing with Corey. Obviously, you've raced quite a bit with your brother, Bob. You've paired up with your family on the racetrack literally dozens of times over the years. Does anything change when you race a family member? Because uh, I, I know that you oh, talk a little I, trash. I, I got to tell you, just yesterday, Corey pulled up on me again. First round, buyback round, mind you, but first round, I looked at him, cocky as I normally am. I said, you want a piece of the old man? And I should have never said that. But I'm double O two. I'm two thou under, getting fed eight thou. I'm on the floor. I'm not playing games with him. He dialed up to me. I know he was carrying four. and. He made me look silly yesterday, so, yeah, we've we, we raced quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> and you've raced with your brother Bob on the Top Sportsman. You you paired up against him, and I think I saw yep. where you were interviewed about that one time, and you, you said it's all straight up. You know, you guys are going after each other real hard, and I, I know you and Corey do the same. Yeah, we never have uh, have given each other anything, and uh, actually there was just a spot here recently where I looked at a, from a money standpoint and the way we were both driving, I was like, man, he's in a better spot. I think I'm going to end up running him. And I'm a, I may give this to him. And the kid pulls up, he's giving me nothing. We're racing for it. So it reiterated what I had already taught him. And even though I may have been looking back saying, hey, this may be better for the team. Now he wants to run for it. And, I, and, I, and I'm grateful he still thinks that way. Yeah, obviously that's some good raising by you and his mom. And so while we're talking about Corey, Chris, I, He's pretty much been a prodigy from the early stages of his racing career. I mean, this young man took to it extremely early, extremely well. I know that you had a lot to do with that training and watching you race, but what made him so good so early? This kid, before he could even run the juniors, he we set up courses. We're on a couple of acres, and we've set up race courses where we try take turns who was in the fast golf cart or who was in the fast motorcycle. And if you're not going to get there, what are we going to do? We're not going to follow the guy, which I still do with regularity. Don't get me wrong. Okay? <laughs> We're not going to follow the guy through if we can't beat him to the stride. Some discipline like any other sport, which is hard to, to do when you're trying to race someone to the finish line, you want to beat them there, but, you have to know when to concede and you have to know when to make the right decisions. And Hey there, what's up? Matt, Matt cook just drove by. <laughs> they just got done eating here as well. Good stuff. Sorry about that. No, it's all good. But the young man, he, he was practicing that finish line and the decision-making before he got in the junior. Then he went 10 years in the junior and he was constantly challenging himself in the junior. He would not, he's going to dial with them. If he had to dial up two seconds, he'll dial with them and wait for him and, and pace him through, and he can catch a drop pretty good. He, he, uh, if anybody hadn't noticed, he's a little aggressive on the finish line, and he paid the price last year, obviously, 
but he uh, was able to rec- he was able to recover on that. But he makes good decisions down there. This is tough to win in, guys. The packages, you know, last week we're at Dragway 42, and him and Nick Folk were volleying packages back at each other that were sub 10 three times in a row. Nick got the best of the last one. Corey threw six up. Nick threw one up. Wow. Corey said, okay, okay, I'm going to stop picking on him. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, Nick Folk, again, one one of the good guys out there. No doubt about it. One of the best. And obviously, Corey, you know, it's well documented. He's extremely talented. But, you know, you've, you've seen him have unbelievable success at, at an early stage in his race. And you, you've seen him sit atop the mountain many times. You've also seen him crash his car on one of the biggest stages in racing at one of the most crucial points of the race. Chris, how do you handle the ups and downs with him? Because from the outside looking in, it appears that he handles it you know, handles both of those very well, the ups and the downs. How do you, he, how do you teach He's pretty cool that? cucumber. <laughs> he uh, I think cool. that's something that, that he, he, he inherently, I don't think he got so much of that from me. He got some of that from his mama's side because he is, he's tough to rattle. Uh, he, he was involved in a just horrific crash. You saw it from the starting line too, from, from his mother and I's perspective. My heart dropped. Your your the world stopped for me until I could get down there and at least locate his space. And then we went to arguing over why I told him that we were going to crash the car. If he kept doing that, and he kept doing it, and we crashed the car. And I said, "Your mother's going to kill me when she gets down here." By the way, I survived both of them, <laughs> but to go through that was was a a very tough thing to see. To see that he had all his safety stuff on. To see that. You know, he's 10 years in, in the car with the arm restraints, with the with everything you're supposed to have on, and, and it made the difference in his crash. And some guys, are, they get hurt. I, I think that would have beat me or you up, Jed. <laughs> yeah, I'd still be I'm pretty sure. No doubt about it. And I wouldn't have had another car to go get to, to jump back and recover very quickly. Uh, it showed a lot of It showed a lot of resolve for him and, and obviously a lot of confidence from you to say, all right, you're okay, they've checked you, let's go do this. And uh, it was pretty impressive when it was all when it all shook out. I know that a lot of people have a lot of opinion about that and how it all shook down, but in the whole scheme of things, sure. to see how you guys come together as a family, made a decision, and sent him forward, I thought it was very well done by everybody involved. So that, you uh, know, that Luke came down there. Luke and, and multiple people came down there, some big figureheads in, in the bracket racing world, and came down there and said, you know, hey, if you think you can do this, you don't get these many opportunities to get down to, uh, I guess we were at seven cars at that point, get to that point in the million. You know, Dad's been going for lots of years, never got down that far, <laughs> okay? So, you know, it, it was a big spot to be in, and he uh, he had maintained his composure, he refocused, and he did what he had to do. I, I, you know, in the, in the final, he was sixty something. But I think once, I think once he realized he was a hundred plus thousand winner of, of no matter what six figures is what we ended up with. He kind of didn't care. <laughs> and it showed in the final, no big deal. He got it done, and we were just as proud of him. Whether he won it or lost it, we were just as proud of him. Yeah, there, there's actually been no loser in the final of a million. <laughs> you know, there's a guy that doesn't win. Not, but there not are that no I've losers. seen that yet. <laughs> <laughs> Not financially, it's a good spot to be in, and everybody's kind of 
dissing Kenny for doing the split the way he did. You know, he knew it 14 cars. If he wins there, he's got to buy to four cars. And Kenny's decisions, we reap the rewards of Kenny's decisions, actually, because it put yeah. that much more at the end of the race. You know, I'm not against splitting, don't get me wrong, but uh, Kenny's decision, while some were angered with by him, there were a couple there that, that, that really benefited. Kenny's known to make the right decision a time or two. <laughs> yeah, well, it was right <laughs> by you guys for sure. <laughs> so sure. speaking of, Chris, speaking of young men being judged in their race car, Corey mm-hmm. lost at Montgomery recently at the 50K, the SFG 50K, to Casey Pesnell. He lost, uh, I believe it was in the semi, is that correct? Correct. Hunter lost to him at 10, I believe. Yeah, so obviously Casey is only 14, and that that story has been well documented and discussed by most in the racing community. And you're pretty vocal on your thoughts, uh, respectfully, by the way. I thought you handled that extremely well. While Casey didn't break the rules of the event, him racing at 14 did break the track sanctioning bodies rule. Chris, how can we fix those things going forward? And the reason I ask you that is because you were obviously involved in it, and you've got some solid opinion about it that I've seen. So how do we fix that stuff going forward? I'm of the opinion that he did what he had to do. And and at four cars, I was made aware he was 14. And I, my response was, I don't care if he's 10, he made it to this point. Uh, He's got a formidable opponent in front of him. I'm looking at my son I'm I'm staring at 50 grand more than I'm staring at the 14 year old, which was where I lost focus. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and uh, I told Corey, I said, "Man, put up 20 total. Don't shoot for bottom low. I need 20 total on the board. I don't think this kid can get by it." And we were wrong. He put up 17, and Casey was under some phenomenal pressure, like. I don't think any of the adults could possibly imagine the pressure this kid was on at four cars. Running Corey, it's not like you don't know who Corey is. You know, the, the, the kid's got to know who Corey is. And, you know, he's as into the racing as Corey is, obviously. I don't know the family. I, I do know that he probably shouldn't have been there. He probably shouldn't have been in the race. But he was, and we staged the car. We put up a decent package. The kid beat us. We lost him. We went back to our trailer and took our small amount of money for that loss there and moved on and, and raced the next day, just like everybody else. Yeah. So but, you know, should he have been there? He probably shouldn't have, but he was. And should there be rules to accommodate? Man, I'm not quite ready for 14-year-olds to be a commonplace. I don't think that it was fair to the other 14 year olds and the parents that got to hear the crap from their own 14 year olds. Uh, They want to be the next Casey Pesnell, obviously. So that creates a whole nother ball of crap, so to speak. But I think the kid did a phenomenal job. And if he plays his cards correctly and stays off the internet, when he does win at these other tracks, I think he could come in and step into the arena, and, and he's already proven that he could race with the best of them. I wasn't real excited about losing, and I could have been that, that can we cuss? <laughs> I don't say whatever. That little bit to say, 
I don't want to be that little bitch and say, man, I'm going to protest it. We can't run the risk of losing to a 14-year-old for 50 grand. Here we can't. There's no way I was going to do that. I just couldn't. And like I said, we took our loss, moved on, and the kid made history. I don't think it'll ever be done again. <laughs> As Corey became a household name in bracket racing last year, I think Casey just did the same exactly. He broke the internet. Yeah, and along with it comes a lot of judging of the parents and, and a lot of people that are involved. And certainly you've lived it. You lived it at, at the highest level on, on a million-dollar stage. So obviously you know what they're going through. But, I mean, I feel like you, ha- again, have handled it well, but you've been vocal enough that obviously you don't think that should happen anymore. You don't think. No, I, I, I don't think. Not at 14 I think the kid has the talent. I just don't think every 14-year-old does. And it's a, it's a fine line that, that's at one point there's rules that we have to draw a line on, on is the kid capable? He's proved he's capable of making laps going 490s. There's no question about it. Is he capable of stopping the car if when he goes to hit the brakes and it doesn't have any? I, I don't know the answers to those questions. I, yeah. And I got to believe that, like I trained my son, that Mr. Pesnell trained his on, you know, we're going to get in the car, we're going to do blindfold tests, we're gonna, you're going to tell me where everything is with your eyes closed. You're going to yeah. shut the car off with your eyes closed. We, you know, Corey, what's going to happen if we lose control of the car? And Corey undeniably did everything that we discussed repeatedly when he crashed first thing i want you to do is x your arms and brace yourself for a crash don't let that steering wheel stab you in the chest don't do that have your arms crossed in front of you and he did exactly everything we discussed i don't know that at 14 i don't know that he could he could do those there's a couple years there's four years difference now between them Uh, could Corey have done what casey did at 14 man if i'd have gave the kid a chance He'd have dang sure wanted that chance. Yeah. I'm sure <laughs> um, but that would have been on me, though. It would have been on me, though, not on the kid. And that's where, that's where, what, where you know, Casey and them, Casey's parents are getting a beat down, obviously, because we can't put the uh, accountability on the, on the child. We've got to put it with the parents. They asked the first time with Kyle and them. They said no. They went back and asked AJ. Apparently, they said yes. That was their permission. Yeah. I'm sure them guys are beat up, beating each other up over it. But, you know, hey, we all make mistakes and we all try to correct them, remedy them, and move forward. Very well said. So let's lighten up just a little bit. Uh, Take us through a day in the life of Chris Galitti from waking up to lying back down in the bed. Obviously, when you're at the racetrack, we know how that goes. But just everyday life. What's the day in your life like? Well, my, my everyday life is basically revolves around my family and my business. My wife and I, we've been running Torque Tools Incorporated for uh, 16 years now. We've been dealing with Rad products and, and uh, Torsion X products, basically your large tool sector, uh, not your Matco, not your Snap-on. Let's just say your your those type tools are typically quarter-inch drive, three-eighths drive, half-inch drive on torque wrenches. Well, we start at three-quarter-inch drive and stop at three-and-a-half-inch drive. Oh, wow. So our torque, our torque range is probably yeah, 50 foot pounds to 80,000 foot pounds where your, your smaller typical tool automotive industry will be 500 foot pounds and below. Well, I know if I go in, 
Yeah, if I go in and buy a torque wrench at, at my local tool supplier for my for my automotive, I'm gonna spend a couple hundred bucks. If I bring my checkbook in and buy your average torque wrench, what kind of check am I gonna write you, Chris? Well, you may want to put another zero on the end of the hundred, make it into the thousands. <laughs> Typically, um, you know, your smaller wrenches will range from under five thousand to your larger wrenches that be, could be clear up to twenty-five thousand. Wow! I bought trucks for less than the torque tool cost. That's time. That's time. You gotta have it. You gotta have it. Are, well, and and you know, there's a tool for every job, as they say, and you know, just this is a larger scale of tooling, so to speak. And uh, we've been, I've been doing it since the early 90s. My wife uh, got involved with the business when we started back in 2003 and four. And uh, our day-to-day is what gives us the opportunity to enjoy the sport that we love. You know, the sport is, is evolving and is changing. The landscape is so much different than what it was even five years ago. We're related to be a part of it. Yeah, it, it, and you're a huge part of it, obviously. You guys are, are showing up to all the, the best races. But my research tells me, Chris, that, uh, through some sources, that you're a huge fan of toll booths, especially oh, in the state of New Jersey. Now, I don't No, actually, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, Turnpike. Oh, Pennsylvania, okay. So what's the story behind your fandom of toll booths? Well, the story is, is presently, I do not stop at toll booths in my rig. If there's an easy pass lane, I'm going through it. Because if you choose to stop at these toll booths, and some of these things are regulated through the state, some of them are regulated by just the turnpike authorities, some of them are just crazy good. And this one I rolled into just outside of, on our way from Spanky's Wilson Race Engines over to uh, Pittsburgh, we got off at the Pittsburgh exit for the track and they let him, well, he went through the easy pass. My, I stopped and mistake one. They, uh, you know, when you stop and you see the little digital board there and it kind of tells you how much your your toll is. <laughs> yeah. Well, this thing had a figure that spread across the whole board that said $878 and some odd cents or something. And, and I immediately realized something has to be wrong. So the first thing I do is come out of the truck because I got to openly discuss this with somebody. I, I got to shut the truck off so we can talk. And no, you know, I, I'm not commercial. I, I don't, I don't know where you come up with that. And, Sir, I need you to wait till my supervisor gets here and this supervisor shows up, of which I'm a little amped up over 800 and some odd dollars for a toll. And he proceeds to tell me, ask his first question is, Sir, do you know how long you are? And I started off with about 70 feet, and he corrected me right away and said, oh, you're actually 88 feet, 10 inches, which I had a feeling that was up over 80 feet or so, but I really didn't want to get into it there because I knew the meta maximum could have been 65 or 70 or whatever. It happened to be on their turnpike. But I, I was playing the uh, the motorhome gig. Um, this thing's exempt from all that other commercial stuff. Uh, he asked me, how much do you weigh? I said, well, I thought maybe fifty or sixty thousand. About well, actually, I was seventy-one thousand some odd pounds. <laughs> and this guy knows more about me than I know about me at this point. So I, I figure <laughs> I better stop answering my questions. I, I want to start asking the questions instead of him asking the question. <laughs> so um, I was like, well, just well, how, how do y'all come up with that number? I mean, am I getting charged by the inch here? What, what's going on? And basically, he said, well. 
these are your fines and this includes your toll and it's going to be 870. I was like, hold on. Did you leave this morning and think to yourself, you know, I better throw 900 bucks in my pocket because I'm going to roll up to the toll booth and I may be <laughs> shell shocked at first, but I'm going to have to pay uh, who rolls to the toll booth for 900 bucks. I said, I don't even have 900 bucks on me. He looks at my rig and says, you're going to tell me you don't have a 900 bucks on well, no, I don't carry 900 bucks. I mean, I'm not going to tell them how much money I may or may not have, but I'm trying, I'm like trying, pleading like, Hey dude, I'm not commercial. This is my personal motorhome. It's a registered RV. It's, it's got 10 years of history of registration on the trailer and truck as RV. I'm not paying you 800. So, oh, you're going to pay. Oh, well, it escalated or I escalated. I was told. And he told me if I continued to escalate, that there would be a trooper here shortly and he wouldn't be very happy. So I decided I better ask one more question. So I basically, you're telling me if I don't pay, I'm going to jail. <laughs> just uh, to be clear. <laughs> so, so let me be clear on it. What if I just run over your cone and drove out of here? I mean, the cone's not going to stop my motor or my rig here, right? So it's like, what if I just drive over your cone and drive out of here? Again, sir, a, a trooper will be here shortly and he won't be out. So basically, I'm going to jail if I don't pay. So I told him, American Express is going to love this. I, 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 I'm going to pay you with an American Express. I'm going to go right through the toll booth. I'm going to pull on the side right there, and I'm going to call American Express and tell them, tell them that my best version of highway robbery that I'm enduring right now. I asked him, you ever heard of signing under duress? This is definitely it. But at any rate, that, I, I had to pay it. And 90 days later, American Express got back to me. The Turnpike Authority wouldn't respond to them, and they tried to refund me in entirety. But I called Spanky and said, hey, how much was it to go through that toll? He said, $67. I said, give him $67. I may have, may or may not have a warrant for my arrest in the Pennsylvania Turnpike. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not certain. <laughs> but it was a horrific day at the toll booth. And I've decided like from it. that point forward, I don't, I don't stop at the toll booths. Just don't even bother just, with you're it gonna, You're going to send me a fine in the mail, and I'm going to pay it, and we're going to be both be happy. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, they won't get your length and weight if you just glide right through there. So well, I think go. they do. I think they have the capability of doing so. I do. Oh, smart son of a guns. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, a, it was a catastrophe. I've had a couple of them out on the road. That was one of the one of the worst ones we've been through for sure. Chris, you're in Bristol, as you said, and you're about to race with your son Corey for a guaranteed five hundred thousand dollars on Friday. Do you prepare? Yes, any- sir. And if you're racing for 10K, is the preparation the same? It pretty much is. Like today, we just took the day and wiped the cars down, changed the oil, checked the valve trains, you know, just your typical maintenance to uh, solidify or correct any problems. If we had them prior to, you can't really um, predict when you're going to have failure. But if you stay on top of it, it's your health. Chris Spanky gives me a little grief every now and then. He says, Chris. You just gave me the motor back from the entire season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has the same spark plugs in it. I said, well, it wasn't missing, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't like what I tell him that. He says, well, well, how was it starting? Well, it was struggling to start a little bit. Well, the SR20 motor doesn't have any ground straps on the plugs anymore. You think you could change the plugs a little more often? Hey, remind me during a year, I'll do it. <laughs> we put a lot of laps on them. I mean, Chris, we're, we're putting... 500 laps on them and we send them back 
The red car, I think, probably has 600 laps on it right now. He's begging for it. I told him we got to wait till the end of the year. It's too good right now, the red car. <laughs> wow. That's a testament to the job he's doing for you, for sure. Yes, sir. Marco Bruzzi as well. The combination's been very good for us. Chris, can you imagine the feeling of hoisting that half-million-dollar check or either seeing Corey get it and hold it? Uh, I mean, that half-dollar check. I'll be honest with you. I, I'm... I'm, uh, I'm more elated and excited to watch the kid race. It's more pressure to me. It's more uh, nerve-wracking to me sometimes to watch him than even myself. But he's got a good grip on it. We're in a good spot. If we lay down good laps and pick the right guy in the lanes, it could be a really good week. And uh, there's quite a few guys rolling in thinking the same thing, I know. But we just got to go out there and perform. It's not always easy. (laughs) Well, you guys make it look easy a lot. Chris, what is Thank you, the, buddy. I appreciate that. Uh, what's the remaining 2019 schedule look like for you? We're going to finish out over here. We're going to go to the uh, million warm-up, run the million. We have a Thanksgiving race down by us, finally, at home in Houston. Houston Raceway Park's having a Thanksgiving race. I believe it's 310s. I don't exactly remember the number, but it's big money in Houston and Baytown, and we don't get it very often, so I definitely wanted to support it. And uh, probably Vegas, the end of the, I'm sorry, the uh, the uh, first week of November, I go out there and meet all the rad guys, and we run the divisionals out there. That's the only time I run the divisionals. I don't think I've ever went more than two or three rounds out there. The West Coast beats up on me, but I'll keep swinging. <laughs> well, it sounds like still busy schedule remaining. You guys got anything new happening for 2020? No, we're going to uh, try and run what we have. I don't know. I, I was looking at cycling some cars in and out, but the ones I have right now, I'm not in a position where I'm ready to let go of any of them. I don't blame you a bit. You <laughs> so got so I, I'm, we're going to hold stable. tight. Yes, sir. All right. Well, Chris, I uh, want to thank you for taking us down that road and answering the questions very candid and honest, as I knew you would. And really good time sitting and chatting with you. But I don't know how much you get to listen to podcasts, but we're not quite done yet. We've got a little part of this we call rapid fire and i got five i've heard it i do listen i do listen okay so you you up for rapid fire sure let's go all right what's an unknown talent that you have that would surprise us i can drive a thousand miles a day for repeated days (laughs) that's pretty special because that's hard to do the fact (laughs) what is your favorite song chris that you just have to crank up when you hear it Jamie Johnson, uh, in color. Oh yeah. Great song. All right. Put the payday aside of, of any particular race. If you only had one win left in you, what race would you choose to win? One against my son in any final again. Good answer. Chris, what's your favorite winter activity while racing isn't happening? Anything snow-related. We don't get snow in Houston, so anytime I can get the snow, I'm like a kid. I imagine you don't see much snow down there. No, and not at all. This could tie into that, because I doubt you get much vacation time during racing season. What's your favorite place to go on vacation, Chris? With my wife to Destin, Florida, Camp Golf. Oh, yeah. Awesome. A great place, too. Well, Chris... Again, thank you so much for taking some time. We interrupted your dinner. Folks didn't know that, but uh, you were very gracious with your time and 
give us the opportunity to chat with you. I know your dinner's probably cold. Ask them to reheat that, and uh, I'll pay you back for it when I get to Bristol in a day or so. Don't sweat it all. I'm glad I let you get one or two words in that twice, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> you are awesome. And uh, see you soon, and uh, best of luck to you guys, unless you're in the other lane. Yes, sir. Look forward to seeing you again, bud. See you this week. All right, Chris. Have a great night. All right, you too. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available. Subscribe. And you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. BTE is one of a few full-service transmission companies with a full array of manufacturing and testing capabilities. Their in-house CNC facility is paired with an extensive collection of gear hobbing and shaping machines to produce any high-performance driveline product. From inception, BTE's racing products are designed, prototyped, field-tested, produced, inspected, and even shipped by real racers. Just outside of Memphis, Tennessee, their warehouse and manufacturing facility in Mount Pleasant, Mississippi, is stocked with thousands of parts and centrally located in the United States for fast delivery anywhere. Do you want to become a better racer? Are you interested in expanding your knowledge of our sport? If so, thisisbracketracing.com is the place for you. Thisisbracketracing.com houses well over 300 training resources on literally every topic that you could imagine as it pertains to sportsman drag racing. We have trainings dedicated toward improving reaction time, toward uh, sharpening your skills at the finish line, toward increasing your mental game. Uh, tech and torque converter, carburetors, you name it, and much, much more. Best of all, on your first visit to thisisbracketracing.com, we award you with one training of your choice for free. Again, that's the best part. It is your choice. So whatever it is that you are interested in and want to focus on, we have a training for you. It's yours for free. To check it out, just go to thisisbracketracing.com and click the Start Here button on the homepage. Banging on the door, bump, bump, bump until I get it in. Attitude like I am already winning in. Foot breaking in anything. Bottom bobbing for a 10. I'm rolling in the cutty switching feet like Jerry Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. 
The truth is, at each event, there are 100 plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elitist for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.